This is Volume Two, Book Three, Chapter Three, Weaving the Net About Her. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain, Volume Two, Book Three, Chapter Three, Weaving the Net About Her. It was necessary for me to have some way to gain bread for Noel and myself, and when the Pierron found that I knew how to write, they applied to their confessor in my behalf, and he got a place for me with a good priest named Manchon, who was to be the chief recorder in the great trial of Joan of Arc now approaching. It was a strange position for me, clerk to the recorder, and dangerous if my sympathies and the late employment should be found out but there was not much danger manchon was at bottom friendly to joan and would not betray me and my name would not for i had discarded my surname and retained only my given one like a person of low degree i attended manchon constantly straight along out of january and into february and was often in the citadel with him in the very fortress where joan was imprisoned though not in the dungeon where she was confined and so did not see her, of course. Manchon told me everything that had been happening before my coming. Ever since the purchase of Joan, Cochon had been busy packing his jury for the destruction of the maid. Weeks and weeks he had spent in this bad industry. The University of Paris had sent him a number of learned and able and trusty ecclesiastics of the stripe he wanted, and he had scraped together a clergyman of like stripe, and great fame here and there and yonder, until he was able to construct a formidable court numbering half a hundred distinguished names. French names they were, but their interests and sympathies were English. A great officer of the Inquisition was also sent from Paris, for the accused must be tried by the forms of the Inquisition. But this was a brave and righteous man, and he said squarely that this court had no power to try the case, wherefore he refused to act and the same honest talk was uttered by two or three others. The inquisitor was right. The case, as here resurrected against Joan, had already been tried long ago at Poitiers, and decided in her favor. Yes, and by a higher tribunal than this one, for at the head of it was an archbishop, he of Reims, Cochon's own metropolitan. So here, you see, a lower court was impudently preparing to try and re-decide a cause which had already been decided by its superior, a court of higher authority. Imagine it! No, the case could not properly be tried again. Cochon could not properly preside in this new court, for more than one reason. Rouen was not in his diocese. Joan had not been arrested in her domicile, which was still Domremy and finally this proposed judge was the prisoner's outspoken enemy, and therefore he was incompetent to try her. Yet all these large difficulties were gotten rid of. The territorial chapter of Rouen finally granted territorial letters to Cochon, though only after a struggle and under compulsion. Force was also applied to the inquisitor, and he was obliged to submit. So then the little English king, by his representative, formally delivered Joan into the hands of the court, but with this reservation. If the court failed to condemn her, he was to have her back again. Ah, dear, what chance was there for that forsaken and friendless child? Friendless, indeed, it is the right word, for she was in a black dungeon, with half a dozen brutal common soldiers keeping guard night and day in the room where her cage was, for she was in a cage, an iron cage, and chained to her bed by neck and hands and feet. 
never a person near her whom she had ever seen before, never a woman at all. Yes, this was, indeed, friendlessness. Now, it was a vassal of Jean de Luxembourg who captured Joan at Compiègne, and it was Jean who sold her to the Duke of Burgundy. Yet this very de Luxembourg was shameless enough to go and show his face to Joan in her cage. He came with two English earls, Warwick and Stafford. He was a poor reptile. He told her he would get her set free if she would promise not to fight the English any more. She had been in that cage a long time now, but not long enough to break her spirit. She retorted scornfully, "'Name of God, you but mock me. I know that you have neither the power nor the will to do it.' He insisted. Then the pride and dignity of the soldier rose in Joan, and she lifted her chained hands and let them fall with a clash, saying, "'See these! They know more than you, and can prophesy better. I know that the English are going to kill me, for they think that when I am dead they can get the kingdom of France. It is not so. Though there were a hundred thousand of them, they would never get it.' This defiance infuriated Stafford, and he—now think of it—he a free man, strong man, she a chained and helpless girl. He drew his dagger, and flung himself at her to stab her. But Warwick seized him and held him back. Warwick was wise. Take her life in that way? Send her to heaven stainless and undisgraced? It would make her the idol of France, and the whole nation would rise and march to victory and emancipation under the inspiration of her spirit. No, she must be saved for another fate than that. Well, the time was approaching for the great trial. For more than two months Cochon had been raking and scraping everywhere for any odds and ends of evidence or suspicion or conjecture that might be usable against Joan, and carefully suppressing all evidence that came to hand in her favor. He had limitless ways and means and powers at his disposal for preparing and strengthening the case for the prosecution and he used them all. But Joan had no one to prepare her case for her, and she was shut up in those stone walls and had no friend to appeal to for help. And as for witnesses, she could not call a single one in her defense. They were all far away, under the French flag, and this was an English court. They would have been seized and hanged if they had shown their faces at the gates of Rouen. No, the prisoner must be the sole witness, witness for the prosecution witness for the defense, and with a verdict of death resolved upon before the doors were opened for the court's first sitting. When she learned that the court was made up of ecclesiastics in the interest of the English, she begged that in fairness an equal number of priests from the French party should be added to these. Cochon scoffed at her message, and would not even deign to answer it. By the law of the church, she being a minor under twenty-one, it was her right to have counsel to conduct her case advise her how to answer when questioned, and protect her from falling into traps set by cunning devices of the prosecution. She probably did not know that this was her right, and that she could demand it and require it, for there was none to tell her that. But she begged for this help, at any rate. Cochon refused it. She urged and implored, pleading her youth and her ignorance of the complexities and the intricacies of the law and of legal procedure. Cochon refused again and said she must get along with her case as best she might by herself. Ah, his heart was stone. Cochon prepared the procès verbal. I will simplify that by calling it the Bill of Particulars. It was a detailed list of the charges against her, and formed the basis of the trial. 
charges it was a list of suspicions and public rumors those were the words used it was merely charged that she was suspected of having been guilty of heresies witchcraft and other such offenses against religion now by the law of the church a trial of that sort could not be begun until a searching inquiry had been made into the history and character of the accused and it was essential that the result of this inquiry be added to the procès verbal and form a part of it you remember that that was the first thing they did before the trial at poitiers they did it again now an ecclesiastic was sent to domremy there and all about the neighborhood he made an exhaustive search into joan's history and character and came back with his verdict it was clear the searcher reported that he found joan's character to be in every way that he would like his own sister's character to be just about the same report that was brought back to poitiers you see jones was a character which could endure the minutest examination this verdict was a strong point for joan you will say yes it would have been if it could have seen the light but cochon was awake and it disappeared from the procès verbal before the trial people were prudent enough not to inquire what became of it one would imagine that cochon was ready to begin the trial by this time but no he devised one more scheme for poor joan's destruction and it promised to be a deadly one. One of the great personages picked out and sent down by the University of Paris was an ecclesiastic named Nicolas Loisseur. He was tall, handsome, grave, of smooth, soft speech, and courteous and winning manners. There was no seeming of treachery or hypocrisy about him, yet he was full of both. He was admitted to Joan's prison by night, disguised as a cobbler. He pretended to be from her own country, he professed to be secretly a patriot. He revealed the fact that he was a priest. She was filled with gladness to see one from the hills and plains that were so dear to her, happier still to look upon a priest and disburden her heart in confession, for the offices of the church were the bread of life, the breath of her nostrils to her, and she had been long forced to pine for them in vain. She opened her whole innocent heart to this creature, and in return he gave her advice concerning her trial, which could have destroyed her if her deep native wisdom had not protected her against following it. You will ask, what value could this scheme have, since the secrets of the confessional are sacred and cannot be revealed? True, but suppose another person should overhear them. That person is not bound to keep the secret. Well, that is what happened. Cochon had previously caused a hole to be bored through the wall, and he stood with his ear to that hole, and heard all. It is pitiful to think of these things. One wonders how they could treat that poor child so. She had not done them any harm. End of chapter 3